Do we start on time around here? Is this close enough? All right. Thank you for coming in here with this. And I trust this will be an inspiration along the way. My name's Dave. I, I have the privilege, genuine privilege, of being able to uh, pastor at, at Walnut Park Baptist Church in Muscatine. We're on the far east side of the state. We're three minutes from the Mississippi River and uh, it, they've been so good to us, so responsive, very loving, and just been a, a great thing, very good along the way. Uh, how many other pastors are in the room here with me? Just so I have a warning. Okay, gotcha. All right. Very good. Um, you know, our task this morning is to... Thank you, Dan. Good job. Our task this morning is to have a conversation about mentoring and discipleship and really focusing on connecting with the next generation to help them follow Christ. Uh, and it's not my job to preach right now, so I'm going to do my best not to do that. And so you preacher guys, you can kind of just start wagging your finger at me like when I get to go on and preach and all. But I want to have a conversation, and I want, I'm hoping that there will be some, some spurring on of thought, of ideas, of creativity about what God can do through you in your skill set and background to be able to actually make a difference in the next generation and that there would be a, a powerful gospel witness that outlasts your life. So, let's pray. Oh God, you've been so good in making yourself known to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word You've given us the Holy Spirit and you've given us your church. And Lord, how we can work together making much of Jesus Christ through uh, responding to what you've given us in the Scriptures. The Bible is truth and we can count on it. And the Bible makes much of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit works within using your word to help us to comprehend your truth and who you are. So Lord, remind us that it's not about us. It's all about you, our Lord Jesus Christ and our God. And may we see how the gospel and our response to the gospel changes everything. Our whole view of what life is all about. May we see this matter of the Great Commission uh, making known Christ and, and helping people follow Christ. May that be real in how we live. Lord, may we do all of this because we love you. Um, God, you've loved us with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, you've drawn us to yourself. We don't understand that. But God, when we've been given so much, may we be faithful with what we've been given to use for your kingdom in this matter of investing with intentional discipleship for this next generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you uh, can think of somebody in your lifetime that discipled you? Maybe about half, okay? How many of you wish somebody would have discipled you somewhere along the way? Yeah. Uh, you can make a difference that will last, outlast your life. So, in a workshop setting here, what I'm, what I'm hoping to do is not to do all the talking, maybe help you do some thinking. The more you're talking, probably, the more you're thinking. So what I would like to do is have you get move your chairs around a little bit. They had them all so straight and nice here, but we're going to move them around. I'd like you to get into groups of two or three or four, whatever you want, but enough to be able to have a conversation because uh, we're going to break up into some discussion points here in a few minutes along the way. So go ahead and do that 
if you're sitting all by yourself, uh, move to somebody else, but you can be where you are and you'll have some opportunity to talk here in just for a few moments. Um, and the first thing I'd like you to do, thank you, you're moving, good. The first thing I'd like you to do, guys, there you go, yeah, introduce yourself. Good job, I like this. What I want you to do right off the bat is with that booklet that you have of, of your information, if you've got a place for some notes along the way, would you write five names of young men, by that I mean younger than you, maybe 35-ish down to teenage. Now, obviously your main responsibility is to be discipling your own family, but I don't want you to put five names of your own family here. I want you to be thinking of others within your church, within your orbit, Different, maybe they're in your church, maybe they're just acquaintances, but somebody, five people, five men that need to be discipled, all right? So just list those names. Uh, maybe you can talk amongst yourselves about what those names might be, but, but do that right now. I want you to be thinking of a specific face, a specific person that you are thinking that the Holy Spirit is prompting you about right now. Five names. Go ahead and do that. This is critically important to what we're doing the rest of the way. So if you'll take a minute to do that, I'd appreciate it. And as you're doing that, I want you to assess where they are on this little flow chart that you have below that, those five names. Uh, not yet a believer, a new believer, struggling or growing, or maybe this one is already mature enough to be able to disciple others. What could you do next to help them as well? But you assess, give just your own assessment, God, help me to get this right. But your own assessment of, of where that would be and their development so far. So five names and five assessments. How you doing with that? Yeah. <laughs> I want you to work at that. Help each other out. Somebody you work with, somebody that's a junior higher at church, somebody that's not yet a believer that you know, but a, a man that needs to be pointed to Christ. It was so exciting to me. Last fall, we had a group like this meeting with this kind of a discussion, and one guy mentioned a name. He didn't think he would ever get involved in discipleship. Just this last week, we found that that person that he thought needed to be discipled is going forward with discipleship. So that started with this kind of a conversation. All right. 
Okay, I'm going to have you come back together now, and we'll keep, you have some names coming to your mind as you go, that's good, but I think you're getting a good start with that, I appreciate that. Now, what do you think it's going to take to move that young person, that young man, from left to right on that chart? Certainly, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know there's a great skill in being able to learn how to fish. Jesus was using that analogy and understanding that there's a whole lot that goes into making one ready to be able to be used by God. What will that take? I am wholeheartedly convinced and believe that the Great Commission works. Jesus laid it out there for us. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. And wherever that person is, you need to help them move on to the next step in that process. Uh, Jesus had his 12, and he said in John 14, greater works than these will these do. All right? So you need to be able to see that there's a multiplying influence and impact of the discipleship that God uses you to start. Paul, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and you know this, and you that have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit or entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And he did that with Timothy. So here's our problem. It's it's more obvious today than ever before, but few men are committed to discipling followers of Christ. So much of life is about what we want and what we're going to accomplish. And we don't see that view that Christ had for what our life should be about the Great Commission of making disciples. So few are really committed to committing unto others to teach others also. What are the stats? I don't know. It's hard to figure, but the problem really is evident. Where are the young men, 18 and under, that are going on to follow Christ? I had a conversation with another man in our town just this last week. He's 50 years old, great guy, goes to another church, and just randomly, he had no concept of us having this conversation now, but he just randomly said to me, my wife and I, were the, we are the youngest couple in our church. They're 50. He said 20 years ago, he had a conversation in a church meeting that they had, and he said, where are the younger people? And in 20 years, what will happen to our church? And they're 20 years later now, and he's the youngest person in his church. Another man in the church responded 20 years ago. He said, it's God's job to grow the church. If people are supposed to come, they will come on their own. Well, there's truth to this. God does grow his church. Christ will build his church. Amen? But what are the means? How does God intend to do that? What's Christ's strategy? What facilitates the next generation following Christ? What facilitates church growth? Um, Church attendance in the last 20 years has dropped 40% in the United States. Mind-blowing. One in five Americans now say they have no religious desire. Harvard now puts up as their number one chaplain an atheist. What's going on here? The average church attendance now is fewer than 100, and fewer yet. 
the drop in numbers of those that are actually going into ministry is catastrophic. It's catastrophic. Try to find a youth pastor now for a church. They're not in school. They're not training. Actually, I think there may be an advantage. When I was in school, we've been talking to some buddies who were in school that, at that time. When I was in school, it was, a, it was a popular thing to go into the ministry. Now it's scary. Who wants to go into the ministry? Uh, that's something you would avoid. That's not a career path, right? But I think there's an advantage. That, you know, Gideon's 300. I believe God can accomplish a whole lot more with 300 all-in soldiers for Christ than thousands who are self-serving in their ministry perspective. So I think there may be a great opportunity here. But there has to be a concerted strategic process in mind. And I'm very much of a process mindset. I'm a bit of an introvert, and so process makes sense to me, not necessarily performance which is very re- refreshing and relieving. I don't have to think about how well I'm doing. I just think, okay, where are we in this process? What is God accomplishing? The need now is that we have mentors and disciplers doing their job at the Great Commission. Now, I distinguish between what is a mentor and what is a discipler. It's just my own mindset. But a mentor is that guy that you want to talk to when you're processing life. Uh, he's a ready resource. Somebody that you know when you call, they, they will be a ready resource to help you think through that. How many of you have some mentors in mind like that? Okay, You need that. Every pastor needs that. Uh, a discipler is that man who, who willingly coaches the development of a follower of Christ. So there's a relationship there, more than just a resource, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an ongoing regular connect of relationship. So what we're wanting to do and think about and inspire and be, get creative about here in these next few minutes is, is what does it take to create a culture of discipleship. And Dr. Jim referenced this about faith. They're creating a culture of discipleship. And he said, our school is growing when others are not. And he thinks that's the reason. Let's look at some of the facilitating factors, the factors that will facilitate more mentoring and discipleship. Number one is you, you have to demonstrate authenticity. you got to be real. Young people see through the fraud. They see through the hypocrisy right up front. 1 Timothy 4.12, set the believers an example. All right, so he's, he's training Timothy about what it means to do this work of the ministry of discipleship. you got to set the example. And I think we're going to hear some more about that this afternoon, Life Touching Life. Uh, I was, I'm... I'm excited about that. Jim uh, had an article in the Frontline January, February uh, magazine. I think it's page 34. He had this quotation, or, or he made this statement. We naturally look for someone to follow. Some feel that discipleship happens by giving a lecture, and their favorite verse is Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you, right? Right. Yet the example and command in the New Testament teach life-touching, life-discipleship. Again, we're going to hear more about that this, this, this afternoon. Uh, and 1 Peter 5.3, um, um, and the example of Christ and his disciples will bear this out, that it's life-touching life. 
So think about your example. Then in the article, he goes on to say this, and I thought, I, I better say this before he says it because I think he's going to spend some time on this, all right? And he referenced that already. If you ever work on a puzzle, you know that the most important part is the picture. In fact, without a picture, it's almost impossible to put it together. So think of discipleship as your example is you're, you're giving them a picture. God wants you to be a picture for someone. God desires every Christian to be seeking to disciple someone. Did you hear that already? All right. And then there's this quotation he gives of Puritan Thomas Brooks, who said, example is the most powerful rhetoric. You want to teach somebody? You want to show somebody? Set the example. A person's life is their most powerful message and must reinforce what he says, or he may as well not say it. If example does not follow advice, the one giving it will rightly be viewed as a hypocrite. That is so true. And I'm saying every one of these 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th graders, college students, young people, they see through what's not real. You better be real. So admit your struggles. Uh, Pastor is one of the, I mean, not that we harp on our failures, they need to see that we're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ as well. And let's talk about it and pray with me about it and help me along with this and encourage me. Uh, so be real enough to acknowledge there's, there's a whole lot I'm working on here too. And follow me as I'm following Christ. All right? So admit the struggles. Refrain from defending yourself uh, to, to justify what they already know is a joke. Don't justify. Number two, visualize potential. This, and this is where, where the creative part of it starts. Be thinking about these people that you have on your list and start visualizing potential. In 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says to Timothy, uh, I, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you. He would already tell Timothy what he thought Timothy was going to be doing for God. I think that's incredible. It's so much fun to consider how God uses young men who have grown up and gone on to serve the Lord. My dad was a pastor of a small church back in the 50s. That's 70 years ago now. Wow. Uh, they, they had, they had uh, a young man in their church, maybe just one young man in their church. It's so small. His name was Don Ross. He's a teenager. And my dad saw some potential in him. Uh, there was a, the thing, a new thing out there. It was called cinematography. And uh, Don wanted to get involved in cinematography. You know, this matter of being able to put together films. And dad suggested that maybe there was something that God could use him to do that. So in the uh, early 1950s, my dad drove Don all the way from southeast Arizona, Duncan, Arizona, to be specific, out in the middle of nowhere, a desert area, all the way across the country to South Carolina to a Christian college that had a major in cinematography. He finished his degree. Um, and out of that came a ministry that he developed called Harvest Productions. And they just made simple movies. They were not Hollywood style, thankfully. 
Uh, but they were just simple movies that could be used on the mission field with missionaries. The, the missionary would, would, would put out word, they'd set up a projector, they'd put up a, 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 a sheet, and they'd show this movie at nighttime, and, and it was a gospel message. And they had this in like 41 different languages. Back in the 80s when they could still measure this because you had to rent the, the reel and all, the projector and all this and they'd get back reports. But back in the 80s, uh, so like 30 years after that, that idea started, they knew of over 10,000 who had trusted Christ across the world. After that, they went on VCR, remember those, and DVD, and now it's out on the internet. Who knows what the numbers are? But I'd say that's a pretty good investment. If you had one dollar and over a course of years that investment turned into 10,000, that's a pretty good investment. Start to see the potential. Start to see the potential. That all came out of a conversation with a teenager who was just talking about some dreams he had, about how God might be able to use that. So your job in interacting with younger men is to listen to them to see what God is putting on their heart to intrigue what they might be. That leads us to the third point. Help them identify purpose. Start them dreaming about their purpose. Why does God have them alive? In Psalm 138, this has been a, a psalm that's moved on my heart because it, it's, a, it's a person who, it's a young man who's dealing with problems in life and doesn't know quite how he's going to deal with it. And the end of, the, end of this short psalm ends with verse 8. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. And then he says this, do not forsake the work of your hands. God, I know you've started something. I know you will complete that work. So if they have a purpose in mind, that will keep them going when the hard times come. And they will. I can think of, of computer geek Tim. When he was just a junior hire, he was just one of those homeschooler computer geeks. But he had an entrepreneur skill that just wouldn't quit. I think when he was in high school as a ninth or 10th grader, 11th grader, he was making about as much money as I was. Just different jobs that he created and building computers and so forth. Our town at that time hired this homeschooler to build their website for the town and run it and also had him teaching in the public school about how to do these kind of things. Just that kind of a kid. So he could make money. That was no problem. And he came to me one time and he said, I just, I need to, I need to understand that I need to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust is not going to corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. So this is a high schooler saying this. And I thought, okay, there's something here. So we started talking about different parts of the way that that could come together. And you know, he's gone on to be an entrepreneur and a faithful deacon investing in a ministry and an encouragement. And God has used that young man and his abilities. Uh, I think of homeschooler Andy, who just wanted to do something for God, and he was so awkward at that time. But you know, we started talking about possibly going to New York City and planting a church, and that became his purpose. And through thick and thin, he's been after it. And that's the hardest place anywhere in the world, probably, to try to start a church. But he's been after it. Why? Because that's his purpose. Uh, missionaries in Brazil and, and Uganda, pastors in Colorado, Utah, Georgia, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, New York, uh, here in Iowa, 
North Carolina, college professors, doctors, businessmen, just having these conversations that help them identify, this is why God has you alive. Don't miss that. The highlight of last spring for me was uh, uh, Fridays at Faith. Have you ever taken one of your teenagers to Faith on Friday and they, they set it up to where they go to class with you or with them and they, they show them around the campus and they just treat them like royalty to encourage them to come to school? Uh, there's a 10th grader by the name of Ethan. He's been going through devastatingly hard times in his life already. And so one day we just planned, he and his dad and, and I planned to get up early. We, we drove from Muscatine all the way to uh, Ankeny and he, was, he visited Faith on Friday. And, and along the way we were able to have these conversations about life and purpose and how God could use those difficulties he'd been going through um, as part of his purpose. And you know now he's starting to think, maybe I ought to go to Faith. Right, and he's not seeing life as so it's so bad. I just want to get away, and it's not fair, and I want to please myself. He's starting to think there might be a purpose. We just talked about this again last Wednesday. Young people without a life purpose are sitting ducks, exposed to the fiery darts of the devil. And if there isn't something bigger than themselves to live for, if they don't have specific goals to strive for, they will. They will be a sitting duck. But once they get that established, this is why I remember as a teenager, somewhere along the line, it became very clear God had a purpose for my life. And I had to do that. And I didn't want to miss that. And that kept me going. So that'll help them say no to the temptations when they understand their purpose. So for just about five minutes here or so, I want to take a few minutes just to have some conversation about what is really necessary for you to communicate that you are real, your example? Uh, also, look at this, this next question. How can, what, what, what potential can you identify in some of those five men that you have listed there? What potential might you be able to see? Just at the, at the, you know, on the surface, just what comes to your mind? What potential can you identify that maybe you could have a conversation about? And then how might you help them identify their purpose? So talk over those three points for a couple of minutes just with each other and just to see what kind of creativity the Holy Spirit brings to your mind about this matter of investing in discipleship. Do that and I'll pull it back together here in just a couple of minutes.
Okay, we'll wrap up here in about a minute. Let's go ahead and pull it back together here. I'm very encouraged by your participation with this. That's exactly what I was hoping for because out of that then has some, there's going to be something that God will use you to do to prompt somebody else in this process. All right. So hang on to what you've just been talking about there and don't let it go. Come back to it. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment as well. So number four, let's address this one. Participate in their processing. Be a learner along with them. I'm at the point in my life where most of my learning, I'm learning from my children who are grown. I'm learning by what they're learning and what they're talking about. Learn along with them and resist spouting off your answers. Proverbs 1 verse 5, let the wise hear. 
Now, normally we're thinking about that as, okay, son, you need to listen, right? But what about the adult? <laughs> what about the, the mature person, the one who is wise? What, what is the wise person here challenged to do? Here. And increase in learning. If you've stopped learning, you're no longer effective. You need to keep on learning. The older you get, the more you have to work at learning. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Uh, I've observed something. If, if, I, if I can take the time to listen, it opens the way for the one I'm listening to to actually listen as well. The 20-something is a different breed, at least in my mind. I'm, I'm the old man up here standing talking about this. Uh, they, they think differently. Uh, often I'll, I'll get random phone calls or texts. Uh, just this last week, a, a dad processing through something with his teenage girls. He, this guy lives in North Carolina. I haven't talked to him in probably a, a year but he's just processing through something that he's wanting to do and helping them work through their lives. And so he's not wanting to be told what to think. He's just wanting help thinking through it, processing it. They aren't wanting to be told what to think. They, 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 want, they want you to be involved in how they process what they're thinking. You see the difference? It's really important that we get this as old men. And I is one, okay? You will be too if you're not there yet. Um, so one of the things I try to do, instead of just coming in with what I think the answer ought to be, I try to force myself to ask five questions. A question, then a follow-up question, then another question, and then another and another in order to be able to really grasp what it was that they're working through. Five questions before I ever say anything of what, what ought to be you, whatever. Jim Brown was a missionary with Biblical Ministries worldwide for many years, like, I think, 40 years, maybe 50 years. Uh, he's unknown to most. He was a church planter in Alaska, and then he was used to plant a church in California. If I were to mention that church and the pastor who was there, who followed him, you'd probably recognize the name. And... In fact, the church that he planted in California, when they were ready to call a full-time pastor, the, the younger guy who graduated from seminary, that new pastor said that he had come to that church under one condition, that Jim Brown would stay on for five years and disciple him. That's incredible. So what was it about Jim Brown that this new pastor wanted that old guy there to stay on and mentor him and disciple him? Uh, Jim spent most of his retirement years in Atlanta, and uh, I had opportunity to interact with him a couple of times and pick his brain. Every month, he invested most of his efforts in discipling young men in downtown Atlanta. He was involved in a church plant downtown, uh, kind of a unique church plant. It probably wasn't the flavor and look that he would have grown up with, whatever. Uh, but it was, it was largely made up of university, university students, Georgia Tech, uh, uh, Georgia State, uh, Emory, uh, business, young businessmen, and, you know, Coca-Cola, 
AT&T, Home Depot, all these, all these big firms that were downtown Atlanta. And there were these young guys there that, that he invested in well into his 80s. Anybody here 80? Okay, so we're all younger than that, all right? Well into his 80s. Well into his 80s. 40 younger men every month would seek him out to spend time to talk about life. 40. It was a full-time job. Just processing life. Uh, They'd meet at Denny's or Village Inn or, I don't know, Atlanta, uh, Waffle House, <laughs> but and they they would have to they they would pay for it because he there's no way he could keep up with buying that many copies and and whatever, but they would they would they would set up times to talk with Jim. And so I asked him, "Do you follow some sort of a curriculum?" And <laughs> kind of laughed and said, "No." We talk, and I ask questions, and all along that line, I'm thinking, what scripture? comes to mind that then in this situation, that young man can then figure out how to use it. And so they're talking about Scripture as it applies to what they're dealing with in life. Recently, Jim re-retired and moved away from Atlanta. And a man connected with his church in Atlanta I was talking to, he said the church was grieving. How are we going to replace Jim? He's in his 90s now. How, can, how are we going to replace this guy with all that he's invested in us and find the scriptures? Here's my point. You're never too old to be effective as a mentor and disciple for Jesus Christ. We tend to think that, you know, I've done my time. It's time for me to coast. Let's get past that. That can be some of the most effective time for discipleship if we will be good listeners in helping them process what they're working through in life. So, Participate in the processing. Number three, communicate availability. You got to be there. Have an open door policy. I know other situations where, where you know pastors don't have that, and but but that my 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 way is of thinking of this is I need to be available when people are available to talk. So I have an open door policy. Answering the phone when they call or text as much as possible. My phone's been ringing three or four times since we've been talking here, I'm not answering my phone. I'm very uncomfortable with that because when somebody calls, you, you answer. That, I know that's not culturally the norm now, but you need to communicate availability. The busier we are, the less the bandwidth we have for hospitality, which is, I think, a huge part of discipleship. And when we have little discipleship, little, little hospitality, excuse me, it's diminishing our opportunities for discipleship. And hospitality isn't necessarily just sitting down at a meal, uh, but it's, it's when you're communicating, I'm available for you and we can talk. If you've ever studied discipleship, you've come across the name Dawson Trotman. Anybody know who I'm talking about when I say Dawson Trotman? You need to study it out. When I was, when I was in my first year of seminary, I came across his journal notes, kind of his autobiography. He loved the book of Isaiah, but just how this, this, this story processed from this, this kid who had no direction to God using him in discipleship of teenagers to then ministering to servicemen. It just kind of morphed into this thing. And then before World War 
to uh, in San Diego. He's working with these these sailors who are going out to war here soon, and and uh, then out of that came what was known as the navigators. And it, and the secret to navigators wasn't so much the wheel. And you know there were some basics there. You know the word, prayer, scripture memory, and fellowship. Those things that I, I don't know if you've seen the wheel, but but that that's good material and so forth. But the key to the whole thing was hospitality. You got to be there when wanna, when they want to talk, and you got to create a safe zone where they they feel comfortable to talk. And that's where hospitality really kicks in. And one of the things I loved about the story, and you can research this, go just type in Navigators, Dawson, Trotman, Hospitality, and you'll find a number of links that can address this particular thought. But they, they just had their home open. Even when they had just a, basically a one-room apartment in the back of a shop where he was working, that's where everybody came to hang out. On the weekends, where'd you go? Well, well we went to the Trotmans. And, and they, had, they, they planned every meal in the evening. They knew others would be joining them. That was just the atmosphere they created. Maybe your thing would be hunting or cars or basketball or golf. For me, it's coffee shop. Or, you know, the best I can do about that in Muscatine. But we are getting some coffee shops that work. But... Uh, just being where people are comfortable being themselves. Some of our favorite family memories revolve around having a, a group of college students at our house every Sunday for dinner. And there were so many conversations that came out of that. We'd laugh, we'd process, we'd, we'd have these discussions about theology or about apologetics or whatever, and they're thinking, you know, and I, we had to resist telling them what to think. You know, and but we were doing this around the table, and then uh, they'd go and work for a while, and then they'd come back and they'd talk some more, and and it was just it was such a highlight. Learn from this present generation, laugh with them, listen to them, and be available. They won't be thinking about you until they need you, but they need to remember that when they need you, you're available. That's okay. I've begun to experience a term some call ghosting. Anybody know what that is? The ones that are laughing are all under 30 right now. Okay. Okay. Ghosting is basically they're looking at you, but you're not there. You know, you're, yeah, and they, they don't have any time for you until they need you. And that's okay. It's okay to be ghosted. But when they call, pick up the phone. When they text, respond. I think this is a, be, be hospitable. Uh, show hospitality one to another without grumbling, 1 Peter 4.9. In other words, it's not, it's not an inconvenience to be bothered. All right? Make yourself available. So here are several conversation points here for the next couple of minutes. And I'm just going to have to maybe just do a couple minutes on these, but there's some things for, maybe you can be talking about these on the way home as well. What do you need to change in order to be able to, be able to communicate a safe zone for discipleship? Hospitality? How will young men know you are really listening and want to be there when they're processing what they're trying to figure out in life? And what will need to change in order for you to be able to communicate availability? Where are you signaling, no, I'm not available? Like the dad who says, yeah, I want to I want to go hunting or I want to go camping with you but no I got to go back to work. What what needs to change so you are able to really communicate 
I'm available. So maybe pick one of those questions, and we'll go for about two minutes, then we'll jump back in, with, and we'll wrap this up. I know you're just getting rolling on that. I'd like to encourage you to come back to that some more, but for the sake of time, let's wrap it up here. I think there's a whole lot of thought that goes into these three questions that if you think about it and you respond to it, could make a difference. None of these things are original, but when you put these factors together, the doors start to open for relationships that then can encourage that young person to follow Christ. Number six, create opportunity. Let them try. They don't have to be advanced or perfect in order to try. Second uh, Timothy 1, 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Got to fan the flame. We had an intern youth pastor one year who is predominantly introverted. And I get that because that's me. I'm not the guy that comes up and strikes up the conversation. I have to make myself do that. You know? So if you want to talk to me, please come talk to me because I, I probably won't. You know, that's, just, that's just the way I made up. But we've got to get past that. And this kid had to get past that. Uh, he was incredibly creative. He was quirky. He was funny. But put him in front of a crowd, it was, it was painful. I mean, he, to speak in front of a group, it was just he was so uncomfortable. So we decided to start that process with having him give church announcements. And I instructed him to write out every word of his announcements and say them slowly and practice in front of the mirror and all these things. And you know what? The progress was slow. It was slow. But we gave him a chance to try. Sixteen years later, that young man is a faithful youth pastor in Utah and effective, and he's committed to his task, and nothing's going to mess him from that. He's on, because he had to get started somewhere. you got to give him a chance to try. Get out of the way. Let them try. Be there to help them, 
One of the greatest joys I have is watching our younger pastors out-preach me. I love that. I love it when people say, we'd rather hear him. Yes. Yes. Moses struggled. Gideon, talk about low confidence. John Mark, let's bring it back. Give him a chance. Number seven, pray together regularly. I mean, this, this is huge. Prior, prioritize your prayer partnership. This is where so much of discipleship starts. I was reading in Acts chapter 4, and it caught my attention in verse 24, that it, when they were going through a, a, a time of desperation and, and they need courage, uh, they got together and they lifted their voices together to God, the, the early church. Peter and the others, and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. God, have your will. And they prayed together about that. My father-in-law is 87. We call him Grand Happy. Every Tuesday morning, two 30-something young guys come to his house. They open their Bibles. They talk about what Jesus has been talking to them about, and they pray together. I love that. I love that. Shadrach, uh, my son in Utah. There's a whole story that goes with that. I don't have time to hit on that, but Shadrach is uh, he's working on his doctorate online, Old Testament interpretation, and he's brilliant. He's doing the job, and the school is letting him do that uh, over the Internet. He has two cousins, Sam and Sam. They're back in Uganda and they're starting a church and uh, living in the conditions of Uganda. And they're desperate. So you know what they do? They get up every morning, the three of them, and they pray together. And they're serious about it. And then they fast. So when you're in Uganda and you only eat one, day, one meal a day, it's kind of a natural understanding fasting. They can do that. Talk to Americans, no way, you know. But that's a regular part of their church environment. And you know what? Things are happening there. Just about, so we call every two weeks. In fact, just did this yesterday. By the way, pray for Shad. He said, I think I got malaria again. And he's sick right now. So I'm praying for Shad to be able to get past malaria. It could be very serious. But it's part of their life. Sort of like COVID. It's part of our life, you know. You just got to deal with it. Well, as I said, I, I call him every other week, WhatsApp. We, we call him on WhatsApp. And uh, I pray with Shad because I want to learn how to pray like that. That's where discipleship starts. The simplest place to start discipleship is in a prayer partnership. And you'll learn from them, and they will learn from you. And if you will just take the initiative to say, hey, could we pray once a week or once every couple of weeks? Can I call you? Can we meet? Uh, just start with that. Prioritize prayer partnerships. And you'll be amazed how much can come from that. Number eight, encourage. Encourage. We live in a discouraging world, don't we? Joshua 1.9, Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ emphasized that? Hey, I'm with you even to the end of the, the world, end of the age. 
One of my favorite characters in Scripture is Barnabas, the son of Consolation. And he encouraged the church. He encouraged John Mark, who felt like a failure. My pastor, when I was a teenager, he was one of the big name pastors. If I mentioned his name, you might mention, you know, some of you might remember that, but he's long gone into heaven. But uh, big, big church, whatever. But when I was a teenager, he would often say to me, just in passing or on a birthday card, I appreciate you. Just those little words, I appreciate you, stuck in my head. It's like, yeah, thank you. When's the last time you said, hey, I appreciate you? You go a long way. I can't remember his sermons. They weren't all that, wow. His invitations were long. (laughs) But I do remember, I appreciate you. Years ago, I I randomly met an, an old youth pastor when I was a youth pastor in Colorado. I was a young youth pastor trying to figure out what I was doing. As I recall, his name was Don Nelson. Been a, he had been a youth pastor up in Minnesota. Well, a number of years later, um, I was a pastor in northwest Illinois. And I'm sitting in my office, I think it was on a Monday morning. You know, like, you know what Monday mornings are like. My family did not want me at home on Mondays. Pastors understand that. that uh, yeah, okay. You go work, come back some other time, just work on Mondays, all right? Get going on Sundays. And really for me, Monday is the most important day getting ready for Sunday. It just, it all comes together. That's another story. But one day I was studying on a Monday morning, and as I recall, a a car pulled up in the parking lot uh, in our town of 800. There was nowhere near anything. You had to go an hour and a half out of your way, two hours out of your way, just to get to this town. And... um, in walks this old youth pastor. He's in his 60s by now. He had driven at least two hours out of his way just to talk to me. We talked for just a few minutes. Then when he went to leave, on his way out, he stopped, he turned around. I can remember the hallway that he was standing in. And he turned around and he looked back at me and he said, courage. Turned around and he walked out. I've never seen him since. But that word stuck with me. Be strong and have a good courage. Go out of your way to encourage a young man. These are difficult days. It's scary to serve God now. And they need you to come alongside and say, just like Joshua, courage. Give him that word, courage. Write it into your schedule to say that word to somebody on a regular basis. Set it as a goal. Hey, I appreciate you. Courage. One of the greatest tools we found for accomplishing these factors of facilitating discipleship is a ministry that's called Leadership Journey with church, with Baptist church planters. Um, You know, I... I'm always looking for ways to actually do what we talk about doing. And when I came here to Iowa and I came across the John study, that's something we can use to do what we're talking about doing. I just loved using that. And uh, in fact, just this last year during COVID, I was able to go through the John study with 
with a couple of guys in our ch- that were had just started coming to our church before, and I knew they weren't believers, but they they'd come and you know what do I do with this? So online we were doing this uh, John study thing, and make a long story short, this last summer both of those men made profession of faith. They both were baptized, and they're so. But that gave me a tool to actually make this happen. Right? I love it. Leadership journey has done that for us in this means of discipleship intentionally. What can bring about these kind of things where we can actually encourage, we can be there, we can we can have these conversations. Um, so I think it's five years ago now, I was at a state meeting, I think we're in Ankeny, and John Jinks was there mentioning this thing that they'd done in their church and uh, Several churches in our state were already doing it and just making it known to others. And I kind of wanted to talk to the guy. And everybody else was talking to him. I didn't get a chance to. That's just the way it is. And I'm not going to break in on the conversation. And but So I said, well, maybe someday I'll be able to talk to him. On the, I had to leave early. So on the way out the door, I've got my stuff, my gear. I'm walking out. The car parked right next to me is John Jinks loading up his gear, leaving, leaving early. And I thought, well, I'm going to talk to him. So I said, hey, could we talk a minute? I, you know, what you're talking about, that sounds like a great tool for actually doing what we talk about with discipleship. He said, yeah. So long story, we talked. We talked again. He came and talked to our deacons. Our deacons said, yeah, we really need that. And we started using Leadership Journey as a means of actually putting into action what we've been talking about this weekend regarding discipleship. I'd highly encourage you to consider that. Um, don't let the things that would scare you scare you. Oh, it's too much time. I don't have time for that. Most pastors I hear say, I just don't have time for that. You need to be doing this. right? Leadership journey helps you do these things we've been talking about, and it's so worth the effort. And I just want to encourage you about that. Now, so you've got just a... Well, we're right out of time, so let's just do this. Let, let me have you... Um, set as a goal over the next 24 hours. Maybe you can talk with those that you're with. Maybe you can't, but establish three SMART goals for mentoring and discipleship. You know what SMART goals are? For the lack of time, just Google it right now, SMART goals. You'll, you'll understand what S-M-A-R-T stand for there. And come up with some SMART goals. Come up with three of them. And then with each one of those goals, have a next step toward accomplishing that goal regards to what we've just been talking about over these last few minutes, all right? Lord, you brought us here on purpose to further your kingdom as we consider this command to go and make disciples. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We need your help and your grace. We need your spirit's prompting and enablement and God, you've given us the tools and the, the facilitating factors in how we approach people. None of this is original. It's just common sense. But God, would you use these things to bring you glory? Help us to see your presence and your power, your truth lived out in not just the next generation, but into the third and fourth. We pray in Jesus' name.